What's up, movie nerds? It is time once again for a new episode of 3FN Rewind. Of course, we are coming to you from the 8122 Production Studios at Dragon Master Games. And on this episode, we will be reviewing 1983's Trading Places. But before we get into any of that, I am your host, Rich. And joining me in the co-pilot's chair is the Dan Aykroyd to my Eddie Murphy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ron. What's happening? Of course, this is the show where we just review all older movies. So there is no spoiler alerts here. You've been warned right now. Eventually, I'm going to do an opening for this show, so I don't even have to say those things anymore, Ron. Well, before we can dive into the 1983 comedy classic, which is Trading Places, let's get some business out of the way. Of course, if you would like to find out anything about the 3FN podcast, you can do that by going to 3FNpodcast.com. There is links to all of our social media links. There's also links to all the shows we do. Plus, on top of that, links to friends of the show like the ODPH. There's the Patreon link, patreon.com slash 3FN podcast for as little as $1 a month to get a ton of extra bonus content and you help support the show. Also, the Tee Public link is there and uh, much more stuff, including the local sponsors where you can uh, check out the people who allow us uh, to do these shows commercial free for you. And the main sponsor of 3FN Rewind, of course, is Dragon Master Games, located at 1235 Upper Front Street in Binghamton, New York. For all your Magic the Gathering and gaming needs, visit them on the World Wide Web, dragonmastergames.com. And if you're in the 607 or passing through the 607 and you want to find out about events going on at the shop, go ahead and like their Facebook page, Dragon Master Games. So always remember, one-stop shop. 3FNpodcast.com. Well, Ron. Yeah. We're in the second episode of 3FN Rewind. Rewind. We're hitting the 1983, and there's going to be a little thing at the end of the show. We're going to talk about what's going to be going on over the next year, starting in January. Okay. We're not going to announce everything, but we are going to give you, there's there's a theme to next year. There's a theme. And 1983 will play a role in the said theme. Oh. So there's, that's, a, that's a little teaser till later for everybody. But... Going back, getting in the way back machine, 1983, uh, I was just a, a little lad when this, this movie came out. I was not even a year old. <laughs> I was five. You were five? Okay. Five. Not too bad, though. That's not too bad. And, you know, so I don't remember watching this until probably 1990-ish. Maybe a little later. I know I watched a lot more adult films than a lot of people did. But then again, if you were a child of the 80s and early 90s, uh, our parents let us do a lot of things that, you know, you weren't supposed to do. (laughs) I I originally watched it on syndication because we had like eight channels back then. Oh, yeah. One day would just play stupid movies. One channel would just play stupid movies all day. Yeah. It was like USA before USA was USA. Was it WPIX? No. That was always great. No, I think it was. I think it was actually USA. Like it could it, be USA. It was USA before USA was USA. <laughs> <laughs> before it was a major, major yeah. Well, ba- ba- basically, it was just cartoons in the morning, and then after that, it went to movies, which were like comedies that were very, very badly edited for TV. Oh, absolutely. And then, and it was like rated R comedies that shouldn't be on TV. <laughs> but they edited the shit out of yeah. them and kind of ruined them in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think the first time I watched this was on VHS tape at my grandmother's house. Woo! So, uh, yeah, anyways, coming into this movie, though, a lot of great stuff. Once again, there will be spoiler talk ahead. But, you know, unlike the other show, we don't actually, you know, dive into a lot more personal stuff. This is just all about the movie review. So we're going to jump right in and we're going to open up with the synopsis of the film from IMDb. I got two of them I want to read. And some of these are lengthy, so I'm not going to read a too lengthy one. Uh, This one is not lengthy. This is the shortest one of all. A snobbish investor and a wily street con artist find their positions reversed as part of a bet by two callous millionaires. That's a pretty good one. That's that's what it is. This one is the, the medium-sized one. A lot of these are really longer. Mortimer and Randolph Duke are commodity brokers who enjoy a little wager now and then. For the latest bet, Randolph believes they can take a common criminal and make him a successful businessman in the company. The criminal, Billy Ray, is to be given the job in home of Lewis, who in turn is set up for crimes he didn't commit to see if he resorts to crime once he's lost his rich environment and friends. Also, very yeah, good. That's pretty very much good. it. You know what? Got to give him credit. This time, 
hit them out of the park. Now, yeah. I could have read some of the other ones, then I'm sure that they wouldn't have all been good. So both of these were very good, IMDb. Keep up the good work. Trading Places was released on June 8th of 1983 with a runtime of 116 minutes. The movie was directed by John Landis, uh, who before this uh, started his film career in 1973 with Schlock, followed by the Kentucky Fried movie Animal House, that's Ooh. right, and then the Blues Brothers, an American werewolf in London as well, all coming before. So before he ever did Trading Places, already, in my opinion, Probably one of the le most legendary directors of all time. Oh, yeah. Easy. After Trading Places, he would do Twilight Zone, the movie. Uh, I know we usually don't bring up things that aren't movies, but he was the director of Michael Jackson's Thriller. And that thing was almost an hour long. Yeah. So I, I consider it basically a movie. Uh, also, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, Coming to America, and Beverly Hills Cop 3, to name a few others. So okay. John Landis, one of the legend, wait for it, dairy directors of all time. Yeah. The screenplay for this movie was written by a team of writers, uh, Timothy Harris and Herschel Wingard, and uh, movies that they did before this is only one movie, 1980's Cheaper to Keep Her was their first ever movie, uh, but after they wrote this movie, they would uh, join up to write Brewster's Millions, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, and Space Jam. Ooh. Interesting uh, writing accomplishments from uh, Timothy and uh, Herschel. And the cinematographer on this film was Robert Painter. Uh, before this, he started his career in 1969 with Hannibal Brooks, uh, Scorpio, Superman 2, and An American Werewolf in London. All were his director of photography work before Trading Places. After Trading Places, he would go on to do Superman 3. He was also involved with Michael Jackson's Thriller, The Muppets Take Manhattan, National Lampoon's European Vacation, Little Shop of Horrors, and unfortunately, uh, Robert Paytoner died on October 20th in 2010 at the age of 82. And uh, listen, great body of work for oh, yeah. Mr. Robert Paytoner. And I'm sure that you're going to hear some of those movies reviewed on 3FN Rewind and also the 3FN Horror Show because I know American Werewolf in London has to be done. Yeah, definitely. Has to be done. So, let's dive into the actors of this film. First up, of course, we have Eddie Murphy, starring as Billy Ray Valentine. Of course, you know him from SNL, Beverly Hills Cop, Coming to America, uh, Norbit. You name it, he was in it. <laughs> Dr. Doolittle at one point in Juncture. Jesus. Uh, what is he? What is he? Nutty the Nutty Professor? Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. The man has done a ton of work. Yeah. We all know who he is, so we don't need to deep dive on Eddie Murphy. Also, we're not going to deep dive on his co-star of this movie, which was Dan Aykroyd, who plays Lewis Winthorpe the third, also from SNL, Ghostbusters, Blues Brothers, My Girl, uh, Tommy Boy, <laughs> it, just everything. Yeah. Dude, mm. if you don't know who Dan Aykroyd is, that's why we only dive in deep on people you might not know. Yeah. These two are mega stars. I think everybody knows them. There's one more mega star that we'll name towards the end. Same situation. Uh, next up, Ralph Bellamy plays Randolph Duke. Uh, he started his career in 1941 with the movie called The Secret Six. He was also in The Wolfman in 1941. Uh, going up later into his career, because I know a lot of the people who listen maybe don't go back that far. He was in a ton of westerns, ton of like crime films. Uh, he was He's a big star in his day. Uh, but... Coming into the 1980s and stuff, more of the modern area that most of us would know he was in, oh, God, Disorderlies, Coming to America, where he reprised his role yep. as Randolph Duke. Uh, Pretty Woman it was his final movie that he did in 1990. Unfortunately, we lost Ralph Bellamy on uh, November 29th, 1991, at the age of 87, the late, great Ralph Bellamy in this oh, yeah. movie. Next, speaking of late and great, Don Amici plays Mortimer Duke. Uh, he started his career. Ready for this? 1935 Damn. in a movie called Clive of India. Uh, then he would do Heaven Can Wait in 43. Now let's fast forward to where most of us would know him from and it's from the 1980s movies, although he did a lot of classics and bangers as well. But Cocoon, Harry and the Hendersons. Oh yeah, that's right. Coming to America where he reprised his role as Mortimer Duke. Homeward Bound, he was the voice of Shadow. Oh yeah. And his last movie was Karina Karina and we lost Don Amici on December 6th of 1993 at the age of 85. Yeah. So both late great. Can you can you say anything better about these no, two? No, they're amazing actors. Next up is a man who we just talked about the other day on the 3FN flagship podcast when we were when we were reviewing Die Hard, and that would be Paul Gleason <laughs> as Clarence Beeks, of course, the late great Paul Gleason. You'll remember him as the quintessential 
quintessential principal. He was the principal from The Breakfast Club. Uh, he was also in Not Another Teen Movie, Van Wilder, where he was not the principal, but a, did the a professor. Yeah. Did the professor kind of did role. Yeah. Uh, of course, we lost Paul Gleason on May 27th of 2006 at the age of 67. And uh, tremendous. When I think about my childhood and principals, yeah, that's the man I look at. Yep. And last but certainly not least in the starring roles, Jamie Lee Curtis plays Ophelia. Of course, once again, we don't have to deep dive. Everybody knows her. Halloween, True Lies, The Fog, Knives Out, everything, everywhere, all at once, and Halloween ends. So now I just want to point out, Jamie Lee Curtis is in possibly, and mind you, because we'll be doing The Nerdies on uh, the first episode of the new year, and Jamie Lee Curtis could possibly win best movie of the year for everything everywhere all at once and also worst movie of the year for Halloween ends. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> so those are her two movies here in the year of 2022. She had a good one and she had a bad one. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. And it's funny because her last three films knives out everything everywhere all at once. And you're like, okay, two good movies. Yep. Halloween ends. Yeah. <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. No, it's like sandwiched in there when you get <laughs> Halloween kills. Oh, oh. It's like that compliment sandwich in, in, <sighs> in reverse. You got two good things and shit sandwiched oh, yeah. oh, I joke, I joke, I kid, I kid. Of course, there's also a ton of great cameos in this movie, including uh, the one and only Jim Belushi. As the, uh, he's, he's the guy in the monkey costume, the gorilla. Remember oh, the drunk guy right. on the train? Yep. And he comes out and he's like, hey, somebody, right. look at what happened to me, guys. Yep. When he's yep. just stripped yep. down after he gets knocked out. Such good shit. Yeah, man. I, forgot, I forgot that was him. Yeah, that's, that's Jim Belushi. And there's so many <laughs> other great people in this movie. Uh, next up, budget, $15 million for Trading Places. Would you like to catch the box office? Ron, 1980s box office, it is in millions. Uh, and it's, very, it's, it's pretty large for the 80s, I will say. $160 million. A little down from there, my friend. 125 million. Less than 100. Oh. Uh, but not too less. 95. Close. $90.4 million. Oh. That's really good for a comedy, especially mm-hmm. in the fucking 1980s. So, salute to everybody involved with trading places. All right. Ron, it's time to dive into the review once again. It's all spoiler talk, baby. If you haven't seen 1983's Trading Places, that ain't on us. You should stop (laughs) or come back, or I don't know what you've done with not seeing Trading Places. It's a movie you should watch. And with that, I'm going to start off before I even get into, like, you know, we don't do, we're going to skip around. It's not going to be scene for scene. We're not giving away the whole movie, but we will kind of go and order the movie and chat about things. However, there's going to be some over-branching stuff, hence why... As a warning, if we're jumping around and they're like, well, wait a minute, this scene happened before this. It's just not how we roll. So just forewarning you guys, if you're new to the show. (laughs) So the first thing I want to talk about here, though, before we even get into is the overarc of this movie. And I think that there's a really cool overarc to this movie, especially looking at it as an older person in rearview eyes, because this movie has got a cool dichotomy to it. This is a movie that... You know, there's an argument nowadays over nature over nurture. Yes. And that's what this movie is portraying here as well. It's environment over nature. You know, is it what you grew in up in or is it what you can build yourself to? Yeah. And that's the real underlying story of this. And also on the underlying story of this is is the two worlds of being rich and being poor. Because Eddie Murphy starts out as Billy Ray Valentine as a as a poor man. And he has to do what he has to do to live and survive. And Lewis Winthorpe III was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and had every advantage in the world. Yeah. And I think that right now in a society where we are talking about things like this very openly and trying to engage a conversation of how we make things better, I think this movie was doing that in 1983. It was. But it was also showing you that through hard work, when giving an opportunity, you could actually persevere because that's what the Billy Ray character will do, as we see. And they start this messaging in the opening sequence because when we're getting the stars of the movie, you know, the the opening credits, it's not a scene of the movie. It is literally scenes from around Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where the movie takes place. And it'll be shots of like the rich houses and the the business people and their nice cars. And then the next shot will be uh, like the working class guy walking down the street and people getting on the bus. And then it'll be, you know, rich people eating at rich restaurants and like some fancy club. And then it'll be like homeless people. People followed by, you know, the steel workers with their lunch bags, you know, you know, stuff like that. It's yeah. pretty cool shit. And I thought that that was a really cool choice to make early on to kind of get you that messaging even before the movie starts. Then once the movie starts, we get our introduction to, you know, 
the rich person, Louis Winthorpe III. He's got a manservant. He's got a butler. Uh, the butler is played by the uh, late, great Del- Delholm Elliott. Mm-hmm. And he does an amazing job in this movie. I think he's one of my funnier parts in this movie. And he's there to basically manservant. Yeah. Lewis and he brings him his breakfast and he put dresses him and he drives him everywhere. And as he's going to the brokerage firm, you learn that he's a hot shot in the brokerage firm. He's the guy that told, you know, tells them the hot deals and they're making a ton of money and they're love him. He's higher up on the list. He does payroll for them. Yep. We find that out as well in a little bit. And then through that, we get to find out he goes, they go to a club every day because who a hoity toity <laughs> rich person club. And when they go to the club, we get introduced to Billy Ray Valentine, uh, Eddie Murphy's character. And, of course, when we first get introduced to him, he has no legs. He has no legs. And he's blind. He's blind. Allegedly. He's, he's on a little cart. And he's he's got something in his hand that he's, yeah. like, using to push the cart along. But for somebody who's blind, he sure knows when the hot chick gets stands next to him. <laughs> yeah. We could have been something, girl. I love I love Eddie Murphy, man. Eddie Murphy's fucking hilarious. And this is one of Eddie Murphy's first major motion pictures. This is like coming off of the thunder of him on SNL. Yeah. As you remember, Eddie Murphy was second class of SNL. Dan Aykroyd was first class, uh, you know, as far as the years. Like the original SNL featured Dan Aykroyd. And then he went on to do the Blues Brothers off of that movie, also directed by John Landis, off of that show and, and everything else with John Belushi. And then eventually Ghostbusters, etc. Eddie Murphy, on the other hand, from SNL, he did Trading Places. Then he would go on to do Beverly Hills Cop and so on and so forth. As a matter of fact, at one point in Juncture, Dan Aykroyd, while he was writing Ghostbusters, actually wrote the role for Winston for Eddie Murphy. Yeah. That was the original plan. Also, they were going to be in space. That's a whole other story for another day. So that their their lineage and their tying together for SNL is how this movie comes to comes to be. Right. And I think that that is a cool, interesting, you know, fraternal brotherhood at this point in juncture. This is when SNL films were taking off. Yeah. Animal House did so well. Blues Brothers did so well. And then they were just like, how many more movies can we put SNL characters on? And that lasted through the mid to late 90s. Yeah. Because later on, Chris Farley movies and Adam yeah. Sandler movies and, you know, you know everybody else from the, the SNL cast. So this is one of those opening films that came off of the coattails of Animal House and then later on the Blues Brothers. So... Getting into the movie itself, though, the police come over and they pick up Eddie Murphy. I always love the part. They pick him up and he comes off the thing. He goes, puts his feet on the ground. He goes, but I, I got legs. I can see. I can see. God has given me life or whatever. God has given me life. You gentlemen, I love you. You, you, you saved my life. You guys are the greatest. All, all praise Jesus and God. And he's just like making a big scene as he walks backwards away from getting arrested. <laughs> and then the cop car pulls up. So that's where we get the reason we have to go through this. Is that's where we get the whole thing starts off. Because when we meet Mortimer and Randolph prior to this, they're, you know, for some reason, Randolph likes to talk about science and Mortimer doesn't give a shit about it. Right. But he is talking about, you know, environment versus, you know, you know, natural selection, if you will. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not genetic. These people are stupid. If you put somebody in the right environment, you can make anybody successful. And Mortimer's like, I don't care. So now that's been on the mind of Randolph and Eddie Murphy as uh, Billy Ray bumps into uh, Lewis and the payroll gets down. Of course, Lewis does the rich person. Don't hurt me. Yeah. Don't hurt me. <laughs> no, he, this man is stealing a briefcase. Like I'm trying to give you a briefcase back, man. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. No, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to run into you. He's like you, you know, you bumped into me. You're yeah. being rude. I'm just trying to give you back your briefcase. Yeah. And he ends up running into the club. And it's the funniest. This is one of the funniest police chases <laughs> ever. Because as he's running around and throwing the briefcase and everything else, he gets under the table. And there's got to be at this point easily 20 officers. Yeah, something like that. And he comes out from under the table. They just point their guns and click them. And he's like, G'day, officers. What can I do for you? <laughs> but the real movie gets kicked off because Randolph, as they're arresting him, kind of starts going, Hey, uh, I bet you came from a broken home. He was like, We were broke. So, so what of it? Yeah. You know, I, I bet you you had to turn to crime to just feed yourself. You know, uh, you know, things happen. You, you know, it is what yeah. it is. So. After we leave this scene, Randolph goes to Mortimer. It's a real shame what happens there. You know, that poor man, he could have made something of himself. And he's like, no, you know, a thoroughbred like Lewis is the way to go. You know, he's bred to be or whatever. He's like, well, I I would be interested to say if the roles were reversed, I think that that young man could have very well been a, a successful man. Yep. 
And so they make their usual bets. Their usual bet. Their usual bet. That's all they say. Yep. For the usual bet. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to ruin Lewis's life. He's like, well, just fire. And he's like, oh, no, that's not enough. We have to make sure we embarrass him. We have to make sure we, he gets arrested. And he's like, there's no way he would ever turn. He's a man of class. There's no way he would turn to crime. Because the deal is that not only does Billy Ray have to succeed as a businessman when they swap places, but also Lewis has to turn to crime. Yeah. So... One of my favorite scenes of this movie is the jail scene where <laughs> where we have Eddie Murphy talking to some inmates. And what is he talking to them about, Rod? Uh, he's basically the, telling them how badass he is, right? Yeah, he's, a, he's he's the Kung Fu man. Kung Fu man. Yeah, yeah, I'm Kung Fu man. And he's doing all these really bad, like, Kung Fu style punches. And they're just like, well, if you were in a fight, why didn't you get hit? He's like, because I'm a Kung Fu man. I, 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 t- I took the... I, I, I don't get hit because I know Kung Fu. <laughs> and the guy's like, well, if you did all that to all these cops, why didn't you, why, you know, these the guys that are trying to press them, yeah. why, why, why don't you have any damage to you? Man, because I'm a Kung Fu man. We <laughs> bruise on the inside, not the outside. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was another part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, these two giant guys pin him up against the thing. And of course, he's telling all these people how he has all these ladies and a limousine <laughs> and all this and crazy shit. A, my fo- I have a phone in my limousine. And uh, man, where about where about women at? Where are they? And then the guy's like, "Why didn't they bail you out already?" He's like, and he looks at the other guy. Didn't I just say? And then the guy, the other guy goes, "Yeah, he just told you that they're out of distance for the phone right now." <laughs> <laughs> like it's just funny, and these guys are gonna pound him, and all of a sudden, the 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 bailiff comes and goes, "Hey, uh, Billy Ray Valentine, you just made bail." And the best part about that is he goes, "I did." <laughs> <laughs> I did? How how did that work? I don't know how they didn't pick up on that. I I did. So we find out that, of course, Randolph and Mortimer bailed him out. Yes, they did. And at first he's leery because he's like, oh, you're just going to get me arrested again. And they're like, why would we do that? We bailed you out. So he gets in the the, the car. They offer him whiskey. At at first, though, (laughs) Mortimer is... This is is why this movie is a little insensitive. If if you're looking at life, this is a lot different. Because... It, pretty much Mortimer and Randolph are openly racist. Pretty much. And at one point, and of course, classist as well. Mortimer is just wiggling the, the bottle of whiskey. Going, yeah. We got whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's going to draw somebody to a car. So he <laughs> takes the bottle. He They offer him a cigar. He just has a handful of cigars. And they go over how they're going to give him a house. They're going to give him a servant. They're going to give him money. They're going to give him a job where he's going to make $800,000 a year. Yep. And because he's part of a rehabilitation program that they want to start, a fund that they want to start. Yeah. And he's like, they take him to the house and, you know, the servant is trying to take his his coat. He's trying to, you know, hey, you know, you know, Coleman's like, can I have your coat? So he's like, nah, man, this is my coat. My coat. My coat. And he's like, can I, can I take those? No, 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 man. These are my cigars. My, my whiskey. What yeah. you, no, you can't have this. And he's like, no, sir, you know, get him a bath. So they put him in a bath. And at one point in juncture, he asks him if it's if it's a homosexual thing. He says it in a in a way worse manner. <laughs> he uses the F word. He does use I'm, the F I'm, word. I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from it. Yeah. And when he gets in the jacuzzi, because he asks, because the uh, yes, he calls, he asks if in the car if they're a bundle of sticks. He also talks to their black driver and is like, "Are they for real, brother?" <laughs> <laughs> but well, uh, like the other part is like, you, like you also got to realize when they when you first meet them, they give their butler the, the Christmas tip. Oh yeah, and, for, and, it's five whole dollars. Five whole dollars, and the butler it makes a joke like, "Oh man, I can go to the movies by myself." Thank you. And then and, and the Mortimer's like, like half of that's for me yeah, too. Half of that's for me. so they're, these are really cheap bastards. Yeah. Like like they're upset. Thank you, Mr. Mortimer. Yeah. Like they're happy like they're upset that they have to pay minimum wage to their workers. Oh yeah, that's part of the when they do the yeah. the, the finance yeah, yeah. before with Lewis, he's talking about the first time you hear Clarence Beak's name, yeah. and he's like fifty thousand dollars of Clarence Beak. Oh no, that's somebody's working on something. Give me that check. And he's like, uh, man, we're paying some of these people way too much. Is how it starts. And then he's like, oh, you can't get around the old minimum wage. And he makes a disgusted look, like yeah. he can't believe he has to pay people minimum wage. Yeah, like so, like <laughs> this this is how cheap they are. Like, yeah, it does go to play. So after a while, they get him in the the jacuzzi, and he goes jacuzzi. I knew you guys were bundles of sticks. And he's like, no, sir. It's it's a whirlpool tub. Yeah. And he like turns the bubbles on. He's like, ooh. He's like, when I was a kid, if I, I wanted a jacuzzi, I used to have to blow a straw in the water. <laughs> it's just one of those great scenes and comedies. Yeah. And like this, the, the story in this movie flows around long really well. Yeah. Like that's why it's easy to go through the movie. Meanwhile, after they get him acclimated to the house, 
that's when they turn Lewis. They say that he's the, the, the we get introduced to Clarence Beeks as the person as he's an investigator because somebody's been robbing people at the club. Yeah. And they marked three $50 bills with a red X and they have them do this ridiculous put your hand. But before it, we see Clarence Beeks bump into Lewis and obviously slip the money into his pocket. Yeah. And it gets revealed that Lewis stole the money. And then when he goes to jail, when they're searching through his clothes, they find angel dust, PCP. <laughs> and the reason why you know it's angel dust is because numerous times somebody calls it heroin, somebody calls it coke, somebody calls it something else. And he always corrects them and goes, no, it's angel dust, PCP. But I didn't deal that either. <laughs> but he's he, he's not endearing himself well to the cops. By the time he gets bailed out by his fiance, his hoity-toity fiance, he's already been beat up and yeah. his clothes have been stolen. Oh yeah, been stolen, and this looks like crap. Like, let's let's you know what you know, honey. Thank you. And she's like, not in public. You're embarrassing us. You're embarrassing us. <laughs> I can't believe you did all these things. And he yeah. kind of convinces her. But in the meantime, Clarence Beeks, we get goes over to talk to a prostitute. So we get introduced to Jamie Lee Curtis's Ophelia. Yeah, and he pays her a hundred bucks to go over and ask for a fix yeah. and, and make out with Lewis and, and, and in that, front of his fiance. Yeah. But she doesn't know. That this is, she thinks it's a joke. No, she thinks she thinks it's it, it it turns him on. Right. It's a well. That's what he said. You get a kick out of it, but yeah. she thinks it's all in fun and games when it's not. And at this point, she he's trying to explain to her that he has all this money, and then they go to the bank to get her money, and can't. he can't because they take his cards. They tell him he doesn't want to deal with a coke dealer. That's <laughs> where he goes. It was PCP. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, he she kind of feels bad for him and takes him to her house, and we get. The most infamous boob shot of all time. Oh, it's and I'm going to say so this: hot. I'm trying to be very, very oh, standard gentleman here, but Jamie Lee Curtis in 1983, fucking smoke show, smoking hot, fucking smoking hot, and her boobs, her boobs, her boobs were boobs. amazing. Boobs. That and you get to see her boobs twice in this movie. Yeah, and it's fucking oh my god, love it. And listen, I'm a guy who's now in like this is the new age. Hardcore porn has ruined all of us, but oh, oh my no. god, Jamie Lee Curtis is smoking hot in this movie. And I'm usually not attracted to girls with like really short hair because she has a wig on during the movie. But even when yeah. she has the short hair, whoo, sexy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, she's so she was so hot back then. Oh my god, I, I'm just saying, like hey, the I, girl that was in Halloween in 1978, just five years. Previous came you know, full, came full circle. Uh, you know, she was the nice, homely girl. That's what they had her. The girl next door. That's why John Carpenter cast her in that role. Now she's fucking gorgeous, gorgeous. But let's jump back into the movie. So that's birds there now. Billy Ray's getting acclimated, and he's like, oh, well, if this is my house, I can do whatever I want. So he goes to a bar. He's showing off to everybody, and he ends up bringing everybody back to the house. Of course, at the bar, the two guys who are going to beat him up in jail are there, and they didn't believe him. He goes out and looks at their limo. And then this is where you get the change in the Billy Ray character. Because as Billy Ray has all these people at the house, and they were his friends from before, if you will, they're just destroying his house, yep. including one is naked in his bed waiting for him. <laughs> yep. And he's just like, no, they're just using me. So he kicks them all out. And at one point, Coleman, after he kicks all everybody out, Coleman says to him, oh, your friends, you know, were very, you know, they seemed like they were having a good time, sir. And he goes, they're not my friends. All they're doing is mooching off of me. Yeah. And they're just disrespecting my house and disrespecting me. And I'm just like, wow, real quick, we're seeing that Billy Ray's turning. And then the next thing we know, we see him in the room and they're teaching him about brokering. Yeah. With what, Ron? With uh, concentrated orange juice and uh, pork, bacon, bacon and por pork. Uh, well, that's the pork bellies was pork the bacon. Belly, so yeah. they they have in front of him what looks like breakfast. Yeah, it's commodities. But on one is there is gold on one of the plates. Oh, that's right. There's, there's gold on one yeah, of the plates, yeah, and there's right. there's fr there's orange juice. Then yeah. there's pork bellies, which is represented by bacon. Yeah, and so they're like teaching him that that these are the commodities we broker in, and these are the things we make. And it's kind of an interesting scene because they're kind of really treating him like he's stupid. But at the same point in juncture, I don't know if anybody would, if you couldn't throw most people in and have them know what a broker does. Yeah. And he picks this up quickly because very fastly he makes them money because yeah. they were going to sell early on pork bellies. And he goes, no, 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 no. Pork bellies are going to keep going down. And they're like, well, hi, why do you think that? Billy Ray, and he goes, well, simple, you know, right now, everybody's like penny pinching for, you know, 
they're the the upcoming Christmas holiday. Everybody's penny pitching. They're they're worried about it. You know, they're not gonna have enough money to yeah. get a little Jimmy the GI Joe with a Kung, Kung Fu, Fu grip. grip. Yep. And 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 he goes on like so. They're not buying pork belly. They're not buying bacon. They're not yeah. buying any of that stuff because they're 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 stressed out. That's how yeah. most people live. Watch, it's gonna keep going down. Yeah, he goes, he goes down and you know when it gets, I, I'd buy sixty four. Yeah, I'd buy at sixty four, and it was at sixty five and change at that time. And it's funny because, of course, Randolph, who wants to prove his point, is like, oh, he just made us $340,000 with yeah. that decision. Yeah. And he, and he gets on the phone and makes the call. like, Tell it. him Mr. Valentine yeah. said it. Yeah. Buy, buy at 64. And it, they bought it at 64 and made that money. So in the meantime, Lewis is now pawning off, trying to pawn off his expensive watch. And he's like, the guy who gets it, it's so hot, it's so hot, it's burned my hands. <laughs> he's like, he's like, that's $50 here in Philadelphia. And he ends up with a gun. Yeah, he goes. And that's going to be important. He goes, yeah, because he goes, he's like, oh, yeah, you know that that watch, it's like eleven hundred, brand new. He goes, yeah, he goes, but that that that's just a that's fifty dollars here. That, that, that's all it is. All right, and then then he just looks down. And he goes, well, how much for the gun? And the, and like he just like steps back. Uh, and the guy, the pawn, the pawn guy, he steps back and gives him that like look, like why do you want a gun? <laughs> yeah, but he gets the gun. Yeah, he does get it, but. This is like moving around really good. It's like I said, this is a very well paced movie. The story works very well. We're still in that zone as we get Billy Ray, Billy Ray at dinner with a bunch of rich white people. <laughs> and that is funny on its own because the guy is like asking him about, you know, stock, you know, what he should do in the stock market. Yeah. He goes, I'm thinking about dumping all this money into this. And he goes, man, I wouldn't do that if I was you. And he's like, well, why not? And he goes, well, first of all, uh, I, I, the wheat report coming out of Russia, the the it's not going to be as bad as mo- most people think. So I think that that's a bad option. And secondly, this little hot piece of piece girlfriend you got right here, I think that just judging by the jewels on her neck, it's going to take every penny you have to keep her happy and with you. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like stares at everybody's like. He's like, oh, did I say something wrong? And then everybody starts laughing. <laughs> so it was one of those things that that girl does offer him sex. But in the meantime, we see uh, Lewis outside in the pouring down rain, staring in, and he is seething. Yes. And it gets him sick. Because this is the second time we get to see those gorgeous babes. Dude, she's so hot. Because she takes off her shirt and gets into bed with him. And after she kicks a John on, he's like, no, you have work to do. I'll just go for some fresh air. Business is business. (laughs) <laughs> it's like a, she's like no no you need to be better so there's starting to be this love connection yeah. this and, taking care and, and nurture connection she's the prostitute with a heart of gold because she has a, she has an end planned this is literally <laughs> the opposite of pretty woman yeah she, <laughs> she literally she has she has the freaking end planned because she's like uh, i put i've put away x amount of dollars in this account and it's been making this money he goes i figure i got about three more years on my back and then i can do whatever i want for the rest of my life that was that was pretty yeah. ingenious but like i said it's the opposite of pretty woman pretty yeah. much so, fast forward, and let's get to the scenes where we find out the meat and potatoes of this movie. So, there's a Christmas party on Christmas Eve. This is where it ties into Christmas and New Year's. So, Christmas party on Christmas Eve, and Eddie Murphy, uh, Billy Ray, I should say, is staying in his office during the party doing payroll. Meanwhile, Lewis is snuck in, and he's kind of drunk, and he's dressed as a Disheveled is a nice way of saying. Well, how would you describe the Santa Claus outfit he's wearing? Oh, dude, it's like the it's like he just got it out of the dumpster. Like, yeah, like, it's, like, it's like it, it's already solidly like uh, like discolored. Like the the white fluff is all dirty and grungy, and he's like he's got the the beard on, but the beard is all dirty and grungy and. Nobody knows who he is, but he walks in and he just starts taking all the stuff that he can take. He's like pocketing pieces of prime rib. <laughs> he takes a whole salmon and yeah. stuffs it down his shirt, which <laughs> comes into play later because I do want to talk about that scene. But before we get there, uh, as he's doing the payroll, we get another $10,000 check for Clarence Beaks. Yep. And he's not on anything. And as he's giving them the payroll, Lewis goes into Billy Ray's office, which used to be his office, and he starts planting drugs in his desk. <laughs> and Billy Ray catches him in the act. And he's like, what are you doing, man? You know, he's like, he's like, you know, Mortimer, Randolph, I've caught him. He's the real drug dealer. And they're like, Lewis, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm going to I'm going to call security is what I'm going to do As Billy Ray yeah. says. And then he pulls the gun. He's like, oh, Merry, because he's not so great security. And he's like, Merry Christmas. And hangs up the phone. <laughs> I just wanted to say Merry Christmas to you guys. And so everybody comes in and like he ends up running off and f- doing this grand move with the gun and everybody ducks. It was, it was hilarious. Yeah. But at this point in juncture, Mortimer was only holding on hope that he would not become a criminal because already Billy Ray Valentine has succeeded. Yep. So now the second half of the yep. bet has come true. Yep. 
So they're when he's cleaning up the drugs in his desk, and he's like, "Oh, you you can't let people get ahead of you like that." You know, you know they, they make choices in life. Trust me, I know that was from Billy Ray Valentine, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Coming full swing, yeah, he does pocket a joint. <laughs> he does. And he goes in the bathroom to smoke said joint. I love how he's like blowing <laughs> it into the vent. <laughs> he's then, blowing the smoke in the vent. And then they come in, Mortimer and uh, what's his face, come into the bathroom. So he stands on the bathroom, like trying to hide. Like he thinks he's going to get in trouble for having the joint. And then they tell him the whole thing. Well, first of all, he swallows the joint. Yeah, burns yeah, his yeah. Mouth. he burns his mouth, swallows the joint. And like they, they're like, okay, we're clear. Nobody's in here. So we can do our own, you know, and they tell. Now they tell the whole then they the go back. basically now everything's happened it, and you know and it, i can't believe it yeah. well, what are we gonna do we're gonna switch him back i don't want lewis back in that situation yeah. well are we gonna keep billy ray and that's where Mortimer literally <laughs> goes and I'm, i can't i'm not gonna say it but no. he literally goes we can't have a n-word with a hard r <laughs> a very hard oh. r running our business and, a, and, a, and billy ray's face is like it, it's all it's a harder R than in Ron. <laughs> oh, it's 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 crazy. And so they decide, you know, we'll wait until after the new year because Mr. Beaks is, now we find out what Mr. Beaks is being paid for because Mr. Beaks is there because he's going to steal for them the frozen concentrated, concentrated orange juice report. And so that way they can, ba- they can corner the market and make all this money. So Billy Ray overhears all this and then we find out what the bet was for. Yep. One US dollar. Yep. That's how cheap these guys are. They bet each other their bet, mind you, multi-millionaires. One dollar. One dollar. So Billy Ray then goes tries to goes to try to find Lewis, and Lewis is blowing him off and gets out of the, but he tracks him all the way back to uh, Ophelia's apartment. Yes. And it's funny when he walks in, she's like, He's here. He's here. And then <laughs> He's tried to kill himself. They bring him back to his original house. Coleman's there. And it's hilarious because he wakes up and he's like, Coleman, I had an awful dream. I was poor. And everybody hated me. And and, and some Negro took my spot. And he looks up and sees Billy Ray. And he just jumps. Mind you, after the doctor said he can't have excitement, jumps out of bed and just starts choking him on the ground. I'll kill you. He's like, it wasn't me. It was the Dukes. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a great scene. Oh, it's so good. And from there, they hash the plan of how they're going to... First of all, Lewis wants to go shoot them motherfuckers with a, with a rifle. Yeah. He's clearly, he's like, you can't just go shoot people with a rifle. He's like, rich people... He's like, what I've learned from you is that rich people really hate being poor. So why don't we strike it where it's hot? So what yeah. they do is they make this plan that they're going to steal the report from Clarence Beaks. Yeah. Because he's going to be taking a train from Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia. Or from, yeah, to Philadelphia yeah. to deliver it. Yeah. So they're going to steal the, the the stuff. They're going to give them fake documents. They're going to switch them out. So that way they think that they're doing something. Then they'll have the inside track. They'll outsmart them. They'll become rich at the same time putting the Dukes in the poorhouse. Yes. So we get the train scene. And it's New Year's Eve. And they're on a train. And it's party on the train. Yeah. And that's why I said Jim Belushi is dressed up as a gorilla. But for some reason, there is a real-life gorilla yeah. being loaded on board for no reason at all. <laughs> the most random. Most randomest thing of all. And then we get the the plan getting unfolded. So Clarence Beeks is in a little car. First in comes the Nigerian foreign <laughs> exchange student <laughs> the played Ni- by Billy Ray. Yeah. So, And he's asking if he wants beef jerky. The second person comes in and is is Coleman, but yep. he's dressed up as an Irish priest yes. who is drunk off his ass. Yep. The third member of the party that comes in is now Lewis in blackface as a Jamaican. I, I thought it was no. She comes in last because that's how they they catch him. So Lewis comes in in blackface. <laughs> Because remember, they sneak out. Yeah. He he get, he steals the one thing. He passes it on to Lewis. Lewis trades out the whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they swap them back because Lewis has to swap them back. And they like, use uh, and they use Ophelia, who's dressed up as she's supposed to be Swedish, but she's got yogurt but she's hose. but she's got literals and she's like speaking with a German accent. Yeah. <laughs> so they use her as a distraction. Remember, because she's like, "Could you help me with my yeah. sack?" And she puts her boobs in, in Clarence Beak's face, and he's like. Absolutely, and then he happens to see them switching the briefcases. Yeah, so he's like the the you know the rush up, but like I said, 1983, Dan Aykroyd in blackface, a poor bat. It wasn't good blackface, but it was it was yeah. still blackface as a Jamaican. So they march them through the car, and that's where Jim Belushi kind of is like hitting on Ophelia, and 
Paul Gleason's Clarence Peaks is like, nah, 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 whatever. So he follows them. And it's only important that Jim Belushi in his gorilla costume follows them because they go into the storage cart where the gorilla is, the real gorilla. <laughs> and the real gorilla sees Jim Belushi dressed up as a gorilla. And Clarence Peaks attacks the gorilla with the gun after being confronted. So then the uh, real gorilla knocks him over the head and <laughs> knocks him well, out. Yeah. And then the funniest shit ever... <laughs> Funniest shit ever is inside the cage. They they're they're taping him up, and he, they put him in the the costume because and the girl is like, <laughs> he's just ready to go ravage and then, ravage Clarence Beaks. And they throw him in the ga- cage with the, with the gorilla. And Thankfully, the drunk handlers of him are like, "Well, I thought there was only one in there. I don't know. Maybe he, everybody deserves a little love." We should give them a long time. Yeah, he goes, oh, the, that little one must be the girl one. And that's the one in the fake costume. <laughs> so that's what happens to Clarence Beaks. So then Eddie Murphy dresses up as Clarence Beaks and meets them in the parking lot, in a dark parking lot, slides them over stuff. They slide them over the cash. So now they have that cash that they're paying them for to invest. Yep. Plus Coleman gives them his life savings. Plus Ophelia gives them their life savings. And they go off to where? To stock exchange. New York, York City. City. And it's at this point in juncture that Lewis is like, this is going to be like carnage. This is not going to, nothing has prepared you for this in life. You're going to see the craziest shit you'll ever see. And they show the broker floor. And of course, the Dukes are there and they have their report and they're telling <laughs> them, hey, buy this amount. And it's the wrong amount. So basically, they're buying. And guess what? The frozen, they think that the frozen orange juice market is bad because they think the frost destroyed the product. Yeah. It really didn't. So therefore they're buying at this high amount of money because they want to own all of it they can because it's going to go up. Yeah. And meanwhile, Billy Ray and uh Lewis are waiting and waiting and finally they start selling and then they or start buying and then they start offshooting it when it goes low. Yeah. Cuz people are trying to get their money back and they made a shit ton of money while the Dukes go broke. Yep. And in the ultimate irony, they turn around and go, Hello, Mortimer Randolph. I can't believe it. You know what? We, we had a bet on this. See, Lewis bet that you would go broke and lose your mind at the same time. I said you were just going to go broke. So, Lewis, I owe you this. Yep, one U.S. dollar. <laughs> it works. So, the Dukes are in the poorhouse because they need to settle up. And once they tell them how much money they owe... They pass out. Yes, they do. <laughs> and one of them has a heart attack. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy. And then yeah. we get the happy ending as Lewis, Billy Ray, Coleman, and Ophelia are on the beach. And we get to see hot-ass Jamie Lee Curtis uh, one more time so in a bikini. In I'm just saying. She's so hot in this movie. This movie, though, going to throw it out there. Let's go and go some. We went through it. It seems like we're gleaming about the movie. I do have some dislikes in this movie. It is a little long. It is a little long. Even though the story is good and it's well-paced, the, it is the, a little long. The, the train part is way too long yeah it's definitely over that's where it starts to bog down in my opinion like you you could have done that train part in in three minutes yeah not 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 27 it definitely bogs down there another dislike that i had in the movie is once again it's something that's become a thing as we've done these 80s movies and not every 80s movie is like this but it's i call it 80s syndrome there is a lot of well because yeah you know oh well because i mean because once again this is a comedy so i'm not taking the premise in too much because as a comedy, it's just supposed to make me laugh. And it did. There was a message in it, which was pretty good. So you're looking at it like that, but there's still like decisions that they made in this movie. You're like, why was that the decision? And you're like, Oh, cocaine, cocaine. That's, that's my big answer. Cocaine bear. Any more likes and dislikes from you? Uh, Overall, like this is one of those uh, early comedies, you know, that, that set up the standard for really great comedies that, that come around later. It, it does hit a lot of points. I, I mean, maybe looking at it in the eyes of 2022, the the, the hard racial slurs and... The bundle of sticks. Yeah, bundle of sticks is a little hard to digest right now. I'm not going to lie to you. You would have to edit this quite a bit or change it a lot of parts to remake this movie. Yeah, and you, and you just can't. I mean, if you can get by that stuff, yeah, you're, you're fine with the movie. But it, they're there. And it's hard. Like, it, like when I, I, I completely forgot because, like I said, I think the first time I watched it, I was younger and it was on, you know, syndication television on USA when we only had eight channels because I'm old. And we, it, it was, but obviously, it was like baloney. You guys like baloney. <laughs> like, you know, that, and like bad editing by voices that weren't even theirs. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so you, you get what it is. 
No, absolutely. Yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff that in the 2022 mindset is yeah. not going to fly today. I try to look past these things no, when I, I look I, at I, movies. I, I, I'm I just saying too. I try to look past these things, but I do understand what you're saying because I understand different time, different place. It doesn't excuse it completely, but at the same point in juncture, it was more acceptable to do these things then. Yeah. So you have to remember time and place. Yeah. And, you know, Eddie Murphy was there, so he's he's part of the person who wrote the movie. He had a little bit of input. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of yeah, improv. No. And there's definitely a lot of good body work that happens when certain things happen. Yeah. I mean, he is dropping the bundle of sticks line himself. Yeah. But when the hard R gets thrown out there, he uh, he definitely has this look like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, like, so it's, it's kind of done as classy as you can do it, if you will. Yeah. I, that's how I kind of want to put it. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not overly terrible, but yes, in 2022 vision, yeah, it, it's not. It's not exactly selective uh, language for the time. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for the review portion. You know, we got to find out about those scores around the internet. And how are we going to do that, Ron? It's simple. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. That's right. We're going to play the game. Ron is going to guess what the scores are from around the internet. If he comes within five points of the score, above or below, he gets a point. If he gets three correct, he wins. If not, the house retains the championship here. So, Ron, are you ready to play the game? Yes, I am. Okay. So, with that being said, IMDB out of 10 using points. What did they give trading places? 7.5. You know what, man? You get the point, and you were dead on. It was oh, 7.5 nice. out of 10. Metacritic out of 100%. What did they give trading places? Uh, uh, Metacritic out 80s. I think this was actually reviewed pretty high for the critics. Uh, so I don't know if it's over 85, though. So I'm going to say 82. 82? Uh, 69%. Uh, 69%. Okay. Next up, Rotten Tomatoes critic score out of 100% for trading places. Uh, well, now I'm, not, now I'm all over the board now. Uh, let's go uh, 72. 72. 88%. See, 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. See, that, that's the one that I thought was. So I got them backwards. Rotten Tomatoes fan score out of 100%, and you need to get this right. Uh, fan score, Rotten Tomatoes, it's high. It's got to be high. It's got to be 85. 85, you say? You get the point. You were one point off. 84%. So you got the point. So here's a win or lose. Win or lose right here, Ron. Google users out of 100%. What did they give? Trading places. 89. You said 89. And you win, Ron. I don't know what you won, but you win. (laughs) You won the championship because it was 88%. Only one point off. One point off, Ronald. So now that we have done all of the opinions around the internet, well, maybe not all, but you know, the ones that we cover. The the important ones. The important ones. (laughs) It is now time for us to give you our nerd score and my critic score. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, the nerd score is as follows. It's a recommendation score that's made up of our entertainment and critique scale, which means it can score critically lower, but if it was entertaining, it might be higher. We always use maximum overdrive. As an example, terrible movie that scores very low critically, but so entertaining that it gets a boost in the nerd score. There's other movies like that as well. So the nerd scale is as follows. A one is no. This means the movie is terrible and you never should watch it. A two is you've been warned. That means it's not quite terrible, but it still ain't good. So you've been warned not to watch it. A three is, ah, it's good. These are average to good movies. They're not going to shake the boat. They're not essential movies to watch. However, if you do see the movie, it's not like it's going to disappoint you. It's not going to be a waste of time, but it's probably not going to be added to your favorites list. It's probably going to be more or less. Okay. I saw it once. It's, it's cool. A four is just take my money. These are the good movies to very good movies. And these movies are the ones that are kind of essential to watch. You should definitely see them. They're probably movies that you're going to revisit at some time in your life. They're definitely movies that you can feel comfortable buying the collector's edition on these older films or if it ends up having like one of those showings that they do in the theaters now where they bring back an older film, you might want to spend some money to go to that event and watch the movie in a theater so you can experience something that you hadn't experienced before. 
And last, but certainly not least, is the rarefied air. And that is Certified Nerd. These are the great two legendary films. These are movies like Jaws, like the original Halloween, like Jurassic Park, and so many more are on this list. These are movies that are instant classics. You have to own them. You should definitely watch them in a rotation, and they always are going to stand the test of time. So, Ron, with that being said, what is your nerd score for Trading Places and Why? All right, I've been bouncing back and forth. I, uh, you know, like I said, my gripes are just a stupid little back in the 80s. It was kind of acceptable to have. I understand why people would be upset with the hard stuff in this in this part of the movie. It's fine. I, I understand why people nowadays would be like, it's, you shouldn't, shouldn't do that. Blah, blah, get it. That being said, this is one of those movies that is also up there with Blazing Saddles, where you can't do it today. It had it pushed the venue at the time of what it was. So this is definitely a five out of me. This is the certified nerd for me. This is one of the greatest movies with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy in, in it. Like if you are fans of either of them and you haven't gone back to watch this, you need to go back and watch it. It is one of those movies that is. Uh, something you need to see for comedies. It is up there high if you are in going to school to become like writing comedies or writing movies or screen. Like this is one of those things you need to watch and see. You can see where a lot of the stuff like Eddie Murphy did ad lib uh, and all that stuff. And it's, it's solid. You need to watch this movie. Well, you gave it a certified nerd. That's yeah. cool. I will also agree with you that it's essential. And I do think you should watch it. I do think it's a movie that is uh, definitely a great in the, in the canon of Hollywood comedies, this brought you into the modern age of comedy uh, a lot like a, you know, Beverly Hills Cop would later on. And I'm sure yeah. we'll review that at some point. However, I don't I can't really give a certified nerd. There's just there's something in this movie where I just give it a four. Just take no, my I, money. No, I understand. I, and, can, I know. I know what, what you're saying. And the reason it has nothing to do with necessarily what they do. And it. it's just kind of like it's a good story. It's fun. It's funny, but it's not overly funny. It's not overly ridiculous, which is good in, in some aspect. There is a message in it that I enjoy. So you're like, OK, cool. And it's not didactic. So there's like really good things to the movie but it's just missing something and i can't put my finger on the something but to me it was just missing something to make it to that next level in my opinion so i gave it a four but i also give it a seven out of ten as far as a score which is pretty high for me it's not the highest that you're gonna get but for a comedy that's really high because there's not many comedies that go above there is a few that go above and beyond but like there's just for some reason when I was watching this movie and I can't put my finger on it, I wish I could tell you there was just something I was missing that I went, you know, I wish there would have been something a little different. And I, if I ever figure it out, I'll let everybody know. But it was just that feeling I oh, had yeah, while watching yeah. the movie. Like I said, I, I think it's great. I love watching the movie. It's definitely a, it's a four all fucking day. Yeah. I, 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 I'll own the movie. I'll watch the movie again. I, I like to go back to it every so often. You know, this was the first time I like I think the last time I watched was about five years ago. And if you know my watching habits, five years is a pretty good turnaround for yeah. movies that aren't like in the upper echelon. So we give the rewatch. So like this is a movie I go back to and I was very happy to watch it again. I'm very entertained by it. But there's just like there was something that pulled me out of not giving it a higher score and also not putting it at certified nerd. And like I said, if I ever could put my finger on it, but you know how you get that feeling sometimes like, man, this is just missing something. There's yeah. some secret sauce to this that is just fucking. I, missing. I mean, I think if you took out the train scene and cut that them getting in the briefcase another way a lot quicker just you know like a little slapstick comedy yeah i can see where you might have that instead of being that drug out thing i think the other thing and I, I should have mentioned this earlier but i think the other thing when i'm also thinking about it is i'm not completely sold on dan Aykroyd as lewis winthorpe the third like and it's not that he did a bad job but i don't think he really gave a real good comedic performance he was more on was like the straight side of the, the performance. If you understand, you know, like there's a couple really good comedic scenes with him, like IE uh, trying to pawn the watch. Yeah. But I never felt like he accepted being poor. Does that make sense? I can see like, that. like it's hard to laugh at the rich guy, you know, right. like there's, there's certain things that we always joke about that. There's hard to laugh at. Like it's hard to laugh at the guy with a big dick. That's why every comedian on the planet will tell you how tiny their dick is. You know what I mean? Same as us. When we're getting a laugh, it's easier for me to tell you how small my penis is because I'm going to get a laugh because if I'm like, hey, and trust me, I don't have a massive hog, but if I'm like, hey, I got a fucking massive hog, it's not funny because there's most people don't and they're like, fuck you, man. 
F- yeah. Fuck you. It, you know, it's the same thing as like rich people. Like it's hard to be like, hey man, my shtick is a, I'm this upper class guy from Philadelphia, but some reason I talk with almost a British accent. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, but I get, I understand, but I understand the character. And I loved his acting. He didn't do a bad job acting. Yeah. I just think in a comedy, he didn't bring the funny on the other end. I think Eddie Murphy brought the funny and then some, because even when he does become rich per se, he still has a lot of funny scenes yeah. because it's just Eddie Murphy. I mean, legendary. Not that Dan Aykroyd's not. Let's be no, honest. No. Dan Aykroyd is like, but Dan Aykroyd's also a different kind of actor than, you know, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Eddie Murphy's a guy who comedy chops, I think, probably one of the greatest comedy actors of all time. Yeah. So. Dan Aykroyd, he does do comedy chops and he's great for one liners, but he's mostly the guy that you go to for the straight performance. And in this movie, he kind of did that as well, like as, as far as comedies go. Yeah. He's never like the guy, the zany guy. He's always like the, the zany guy's partner. Yeah. You know, like John Belushi and Blues Brothers. Yeah, no, I get it. You know, he's his partner. In the Ghostbusters movies, he's he's second fiddle to Peter Venkman, played yeah. by Bill Murray. Yeah. So, like, no matter when you... And I'm not saying that he's a bad actor. He's a tremendous actor. But in this movie, I just don't think he owned those chops. And I think that there was a lot of the secondary characters that ended up being funnier. Okay. Because, like, I think Coleman was funnier. Oh, Coleman was amazing. See, that that's, that's what pushed it to me, was, like, the oh. fact that the secondary characters had their points. Like, that's why I don't think Aykroyd really needed it. Like, I think he was playing it as straight as can be to be that pompous, rich ass. And that's why I think it's funnier to me. And that's because he doesn't really break that through the whole movie. Even when he's poor, he's like, business is business. Let me get out of your bed so you can check this dude. I'll go for a walk. I'll come back. And then I'll lay, I'll lay back in the bed that you just soiled. This is basically all I saw in that whole scene. Agreed. And, but mean, she's like, no, no, no. He'll just come back next week. No, you're Okay. Like I said, we both said it was great, though. So yeah. we can agree to disagree. That's what we oh, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you guys don't agree with us, guess what? Make sure you hit us up on the social medias. Find them at 3FNPodcast.com because we always want to hear from you. And there's no way to spoil this film because it's from 1983. <laughs> so we can talk about this openly on the social medias if you would like to do that. Or if you want to hit us up on that email, no matter what, all the information that you need is in one spot. 3FNPodcast.com. Find all the links for Patreon, T Public, and everything else there as well. So now that we've come to the end of the show, though, let's talk about what we got coming up next. Because Rewind is done for the month of December. This is the last 3FN Rewind. I know we've only done two this year because we just started the show. But it is the last one of 2022. And we will be kicking off 2023 pretty soon. Now, 2023 is kind of, uh, it's got a little significance. And 2023 significance is that I was born in 1983 as well as Diesel was, even though Diesel's not on the show mostly, but we were both born in 1983. So we're going to be, I'm going to be 40. As a matter of fact, in January, I will be 40. My birthday is January 15th. So I'll be 40 years old. So I said, hey, 3FN Rewind, let's do something fun for the 40th. Let's do one movie a month out of the two that we do for this show that takes place in 1983 and then we'll do one that takes place in 1993 and the logic behind that is the 40th and 30th anniversary and the logic there is also the year I was born so some of them I've seen like Trading Places not officially the first one it just worked out to be great that we did it but it's a movie I may not have seen because some of these movies from 83 I may have not seen or if I have it was when I was young or old or whatever but 93 the cool part is those are movies when I was 10 and I remember a lot of those movies like the movies that were 1993 that we'll be covering but the other caveat to this is it had to come out in the month Yeah. so we picked movies so if it came out in January it was done so January of 83 and January of 93 and so on and so forth. And I can tell you, I'm not going to give you the whole list, but I can tell you the first one we're doing because we are breaking the rule in the first one. January of 1983 was very weak on movies. And the only movie that we could find was a movie called Cocaine and Blue Eyes. Yeah. And I would have to buy that for $20 on a really shady DVD. <sighs> and I said, oh, fuck that. So what we did there, because I couldn't find a, you know, a movie that we could cover, we were actually covering a movie that was done in 1982, but it was the number one movie in the box office in January of 83, and that movie's called Tootsie. Yes. Starring Dustin Hoffman. So we are going to be doing that movie as the first 3FN Rewind of... The year 2023, and the reason we're going to do one in 83 and one is so, and I'm not going to give you the January 93 movie yet. We'll we'll talk about what? that later. There's a January 93 movie. That'll be the second 3FN Rewind of January. So that is what we're going to do here at 3FN Rewind, kind of giving you it all in a nutshell. So we will be back with a new 3FN Rewind, of course, in the first week of January, and that will be Tootsie. Now, important sideshow note here. 
Of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know that it's on the 3FN Network of Podcasting. It's one channel where weekly we do the 3FN flagship podcast where we talk all mostly new movies. Sometimes we do an older movie there. And then twice a month we do 3FN Horror Show and twice a month we do 3FN Rewind. If you are listening to all of them, I appreciate it greatly, but I hope that you uh, go back and listen to older episodes as they come out because even in the 3FN podcast proper, maybe you've seen some of those newer movies now. Maybe it took you a little while. Go back and check out that back archive. It's in one location. While you're there, make sure you drop a subscribe or a follow. And if you would be so kind to give us a five-star rating and review, we would really appreciate it because it does really help the algorithm. So giving you all this content. So we're not asking for much content. Content is king, sir. With that, Ron, this is going to be the end of the show. And it is the last 3FN Rewind of 2022. We are vastly coming up on the end of 2022. We have one more 3FN podcast for this year. And then we have a 3FN horror show that will come out before the end of this year. And that's it. So two more things that come out on the main channel before the end of the year. So... With that being said, thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you're entertained. Hopefully you have a great holiday season, a happy whatever you're celebrating. I hope you have a great time with your friends and family and everybody around you. And also I hope you have a happy new year if you don't listen to anything else this year. With that, thank you so much for myself and Ron. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And most importantly, if somebody offers you to switch places with somebody and you're going to be making that bank and getting that bag, You bet your ass you better do it. Who cares if they bet a dollar against you? And also, be kind and rewind.